Back when I was in seminary, uh, my wife Laura did childcare for a young man named Nick and his little sister Gracie. And, and that uh, year, we lived right across the street from the seminary. You could see the campus from our house. And, and Nick was six or seven years old at the time, and already at that point, he knew he wanted to be a pastor when he grew up. And so he loved coming to our house and being by the seminary. That was just so great to him. And one, on more than one occasion, he said to me, you know why I want to be a pastor? I think it'd be so cool to pick the hymns that you sing on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Nick, it is kind of cool, yeah. Uh, and it, it might not be at the top of my list of, you know, things, the greatest things about being a pastor. There's other things that, that are above that, but it is pretty cool to pick the hymns that you sing on a Sunday, right? It, it's, 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 it's exciting, and it's fun, and it's, it, it's, it's, just enjoyable to, to take God's word and, and what we're going to focus on for that, that theme for that Sunday and look at the lessons and, and what, are the, you know, what are these lessons talking about? What's the correlations between them? And then finding hymns and the, that, with words that fit with those, with those songs so that you have a theme for the Sunday, right? And it's fun to pick songs that you enjoy singing and that I enjoy singing too, right? And, and I think the one we just sang is one of those. I, I heard a number of you singing out loudly because... That's a hymn that, along with me, you, you like, you love, right? The, the words are, are just amazing, right? It's just such great words and such a, such a melody, right? And that, you know that hymn is, is around 350 years old, right? And how applicable the words of that hymn are today. <laughs> they were written 350 years ago, right? We still love to sing it. But as I sat there and, and sang those words, I was reminded again how beautiful that melody is and how powerful those words are, but, but also reminded how those words often don't reflect my life. Right? I know that they should. I, I want them to. But when I look at my life, do I say, what is the world to me? Just look through that hymn again with me. Verse 1, what is the world to me, we sang, with all its vaunted pleasure, when you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are my treasure. You only, dearest Lord, my soul's delight shall be. You are my peace, my rest. What is the world to me? That sounds great, right? We sing that out. We, we, we love those words. We believe those words. And we wish those words were true about our lives, right? The world with all its vaunted pleasure. We, we don't use that word vaunted in English like we should. But it's, you know, excessive, right? That's, that's the meaning of that word. This excessive pleasure. And you see that in the world, don't you? You look at the world around you and they, they seek after excessive pleasure. But only if it was only the world. And not right here, too. Right? That, that uh, when you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are my treasure. Is, is Jesus always... The treasure, my only treasure in this life? Is he where I find my greatest value and purpose and worth in this life? Right? That you are my peace, you are my rest, you are my soul's delight. If you look at your life, you see what you see or what I see in my life? That I often am trying to find peace and rest and my soul's delight in the things of this life? Things that I know will not satisfy me. Things that I deep down know will leave me unfulfilled and unsatisfied and unhappy and discontent. But yet, what is the world to me? Way too much, too often. 
but the hymn writer's not done, right? Verse 2, the world seeks to be praised with and honored by the mighty, yet never once reflects that they are frail and flighty. But what I truly prize above all things is he, my Jesus, he alone, what is the world to me? Yeah, it's the world that wants to be praised, right? It's the world that seeks after glory and wants recognition and, and looks to be honored. Yes. But if I'm honest with myself, it's me too. Seeking the honor and the praise of people around me. Wanting to do a good job. Wanting to be good and great in the eyes of other people. Getting that pat on the back and saying, oh, you did such a good job on that. Right? That my sinful flesh longs for that too. And at the same time, longs to put other people down so that it makes me look better. It makes me feel better about myself, right? But yet all the while knowing that, like Peter writes and Isaiah writes, that, that men and even their glory, right? The things that they do, the accomplishments that they achieve in this life are here today and gone tomorrow. We know that, but yet, how often don't we seek praise and honor and glory and respect in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of people around us, when Jesus alone should be our prize? Jesus alone should be where we find our worth and our value and our honor? What is the world to me? Often way too much. My source of validation. My source of worthiness and acceptance. Oh, and the hymn writer's not done, is he? The world seeks after wealth, verse 3, and all that money offers, yet never is content, though gold should fill its coffers. I have a higher good, content with it I'll be. My Jesus is my wealth, what is the world to me? Well, I don't have to be stinking filthy rich, right? I don't need three houses and six cars, <laughs> but a car that runs a little better would be nice. And maybe a nicer house in a nicer neighborhood. Or maybe just a little bit more in my savings account. Or just a little bit more expendable cash so we could take a vacation once and, and not feel bad about it, right? And not have to max out the credit cards. It'd be nice to have a little more. The world seeks after wealth? Hmm. Maybe not just the world. When I look at my life and when you analyze your life, it doesn't matter where you are, how much you have or how much you don't have, contentment seems to elude every single one of us. Jesus is my wealth when I'm seeking after the things of this life and wanting more, better, and different. Because that's what you hear from the world, right? The world is telling you, you deserve better, you deserve more, you, need, you deserve the latest and the greatest. Jesus is my wealth. What is the world to me? All too often, way too much. Oh, and there's a fourth verse yet, isn't there? What is the world to me? My Jesus is my treasure, my life, my health, my wealth, my friend, my love, my pleasure, my joy, my crown, my all, my bliss eternally. Once more than I declare, what is the world to me? Maybe by now you're thinking, I'm done with this hymn. <laughs> because I look at it and I say, I mean, yeah, I want that. I want Jesus to be my all. I want Jesus to be my joy and my crown but, and, my, and my life and my health and everything. But I look at my life and that's not what I live. That's not what I'm showing the world. What is the world to me? Way too much. It means way too much. These words 
when you look at them, have to convict you, don't they? And we don't even need this hymn to do that, because God's word does it too. God's inspired word does. And, and we're taking a look at the second lesson uh, appointed for today, for this Sunday, the sixth Sunday of, of Pentecost, uh, from 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to read those words again, because it's, I, I'm guessing that these words of this hymn were, were written in, uh, you know, with, this, with this verse and, and others in mind. But it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. God makes it very clear here, right? God the Holy Spirit uh, inspires the Apostle John here to write very clearly, the love of the world and the love of the Father can't be in you at the same time. It's one or the other. If, if, if you're filled with love for this world, if, if your, your, your hope and your happiness and your joy and your purpose and your worth and your value and your acceptance, are, if any of those or all of those are found in the things of this world, then there's no room for the love of the Father. It can't be both. Right? You've you got you to gotta choose one. Right? Just like light can't dwell with darkness. It's one or the other. And where that shouldn't be a hard choice, it becomes very difficult, right? When you've when you're living in this sinful world that is trying to lure you, trying to draw you in, right? And that word world, maybe we should take a moment and define that. What are we talking about the world, right? Because remember last week in our sermon, we talked about the word fear. And that word fear can be used in, a couple, in two different ways. You can be afraid of something, or you can have fear meaning respect, honor, awe, respect for, you know, for God, right? Fear used in two different ways. The same thing with the world. In the Bible, sometimes the world is the world you see around you, right? The, the world that God created for us. And there are many wonderful blessings of this world. There are many, you know, uh, God created this world for us. But here, in many other places in the Bible, when it talks about the world, it's talking about all of those things out there that have been tainted by sin and long to drag you into it too. The world is one of your enemies. The world is controlled by the devil. The world is what we are called not to love. But you realize what the world is made up of, right? You realize when we talk about the world, we're talking about all those things out there that seek to drag us away from Jesus and become number one in our life rather than him. And it's real easy to, to sit here and point out all the sins and the evils and the temptations of the world and say, oh, how could people do that? Look at, look at how people live these days. The world is just going to you-know-where in a handbasket, right? So easy for us to sit here and say that, but not remembering that all of that stuff that goes on out there starts right here in sin-sick human hearts, just like mine and yours. There's no difference. There's no difference between any one of us in this world, right? All of the sin and all of the evil that's out there all starts right here. And isn't that the danger? Because it's right within you. You don't even need the sinful world to tempt you. Right? You, you've got your own sinful flesh that, that seeks to serve itself, that seeks to make you number one, that, that says, you be your own 
God. You, you do what you want to do. And then you've got Satan, right, who, who's hot on your heels all of the time, goading that sinful flesh and saying, oh, come on, it's not a big deal. Look at the world around you. Everyone else is doing it. Nothing bad is happening to them. It's not like God is, you know, doing what he did in the Old Testament, having people go with swords and kill people. You're okay. Everyone else is doing it. You're free. Do what you want. It feels good. It can't be wrong. You've got Satan telling you, join in. It's no big deal. Live life. And then you've got that sinful world, right? With all of its lures, all of its temptations, bombarding you with put yourself first. You matter most. You're number one. Live for you. You've got these enemies coming at you over and over and over. These enemies that you know you're not powerful enough to fight, right? I mean, you sit here and you sing these words of this hymn, and you sing them loudly and you sing them proudly, but then you look at your life and say, oh my goodness, <laughs> that is not what my life looks like. How do I win this battle? How do I make my life match what I sing and what I confess? These enemies are just too great. The love of that world is just too strong within me. Living for the here and now. Living for me. Powerless against those temptations of Satan. But then to remember that there is the love of the Father. Right? It's in there. Right? This is a pretty, pretty stern warning here. Right? These, these words written to Christians, written to you, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right? These words are recorded because God knows this is something that we struggle with. God knows this is something that... Is, is impossible for us in our sinful flesh in this sinful world full of sinful people. Impossible for us. But there it is in there. The love of the Father. And friends, you know that love. You know that love. You know that love of the Father that committed himself to you before time began before he ever said, let there be. While there was still nothing, there was a God of love. Who even though he knew sin would come in and tarnish and mar and really destroy everything that he created, he went ahead and created anyways. Because he loved you. And wanted a chance to give you life. Life now and life forever. And loved you so much that God himself promised to be the one who would come to make right what went wrong. Because when that love for the world, when that love for the things of this world, like go back to Adam and Eve, it was love for power, love of wanting to be like God, wanting to be above God. Right? When that came into this world, God said, I have to come and make things right. You see the love of God as he takes on flesh and he comes and he lives under the law. He comes and lives in this world with all its trappings, all of its temptations, all of the lures, all of it. And 
never once, never once loved the world more than his father. Faced every temptation of Satan to get him to serve himself first and worry about himself first and give up on what he was called to do and every time he defeated those temptations for us. And even more than that, you see the love of God for you. So committed to you that he was willing to take your punishment upon himself. The punishment that you deserve for every time that you had loved the world more than God. For every time that you've read the first commandment, you shall have no other gods and uh, not along with it, but then made people and things and yourself God above him. He went to that cross and he suffered hell. And was willing to be forsaken by his father. He, on that cross, your savior Jesus, wasn't experiencing the love of the father. For you. Do you see the total commitment that your God has made to you and has proven to you? In his life and in his death. And even more, in his resurrection. Because he wants you to live with him forever. Because he's committed to you for eternity. Because he says, I don't just love you right now. I love you into eternity forever. You are mine. You belong to me. And the empty tomb is your proof. That death has been defeated. That the grave will not hold you. That because he lives, you also will live with him forever. Friends, marvel at the love the Father has for you. Marvel at the love, the extent of that love and what it did for you and promises to you. And then look at what the world has to offer and say, what do you got for me? <laughs> my Jesus is my all. My Jesus is my joy. My Jesus is my crown. He alone is my wealth. He alone can offer me true life and true peace and true purpose here in this life now. And he alone can offer me something past this life. Right at the end, John writes there, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Right? You think about, think about all these things that trap us in this life, all these things that we get caught up in and try to find our purpose and our hope and our happiness and our worth and our value and our acceptance in this life. They pass away. It, it, they all mean nothing in the end. It's just a chasing after the wind. It will always leave you feeling empty. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And what's the will of God? What is John writing about here? What is the Spirit saying through John here? Well, if we go back to, to John's Gospel, the same John, he wrote this, the words of Jesus. He says, Jesus says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The will of God, the will of the Father, is that we simply believe. Believe with faith that's given to us through the Holy Spirit. To believe that Jesus is our all in all. To believe that he is the only one who can give us life now and life forever, filled with peace and purpose and hope and joy. In him alone. Is it found? The will of God is to simply believe and to receive what's already done. 
Everything you need for a life filled with joy and peace and purpose is already done in Christ Jesus. You don't have to seek after it. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to search for it. Anywhere in this life, it's already yours in Christ Jesus. Done. That's how committed he is to you. He's committed to you for life and eternity. And when we know that, friends, when we look at what the world offers and what our God offers, you say, what is the world to me, right? And I long to commit myself to his love and to his care, to his love for me. If you still have what is the world to me, the hymn open there in front of you, notice each, each one of the verses ends the same way, right? It's kind of a refrain at the end. What is the world to me? And notice what's interesting is it sounds like a question, but there are in question marks at the end, right? What is, what's there? It's an exclamation point, right? This is not a question. What is the world to me? <laughs> no, we know what the world is to us. Because of Christ Jesus, the world means nothing to us. The world can offer us nothing that we don't already have in Christ Jesus that we need. And only he can give it fully. He is our joy. He is our crown. He is our hope. He is our life. He is our wealth. He is our all in all. What is the world to me when I have Jesus? What is the world to me? Exclamation point. Amen.